Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 449. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This is the 350th episode of the Slow Flowers podcast, brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. I don't know about you, but I've been feeling overwhelmed and uncertain about how the coronavirus pandemic will alter our beloved floral marketplace, perhaps forever. And it has become clear to me that sharing individual stories from our members is one way I can help our community. I don't have many answers, and each voice you hear on the Slow Flowers podcast may not either, but collectively, as we continue to speak honestly about our challenges and successes, we hope to encourage and support one another. Our featured guest this week is flower farmer entrepreneur Walt Krukowski of Mountain Flower Farm, based in Warren, Vermont. Walt joined me via Skype to talk about his amazing farm, and I'm honored to add his voice to our Stories of Resilience series. I met Walt last September when I joined a floral sourcing workshop hosted by Kelly Shore of Petals by the Shore and Mary-Kate Canane of The Local Bouquet. A group of about 10 of us gathered for two days of education, including a full day with Walt, as he walked us through the beautiful rows of late summer ornamental crops grown for flowers and foliage. Hydrangeas, viburnum, and forsythia for miles, it seemed. A stunning setting and an organic farm where bespoke flowers are grown with care. Sarah Collier of Taken by Sarah photographed the workshop and the design sessions, and she shared some lovely photographs of Walt, his farm, and his flowers, which you can see in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Here's a bit more about Mountain Flower Farm. Nestled in the green mountains of Vermont's Mad River Valley, the family farm is focused on quality, sustainability, and community. For over 20 years, Mountain Flower Farm has served discerning floral designers nationwide with grower direct overnight shipping. Their reputation has been founded on producing exceptional quality seasonal crops like peony, lilac, snowball, viburnum, and hydrangea. The farm adheres to sustainable agriculture techniques like cover cropping, companion planting, and nurturing beneficial insect habitat to provide the backbone of their hashtag beyond organic farming operation. Crops are grown in vibrant, healthy soil with a balanced biological ecosystem, certain to contain abundant nutrients, minerals, and live soil microbes. Chemical fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides are never used. Mountain Flower Farm's bloom schedule is delayed by Vermont's slow-to-come, cooler summers. When most sources for seasonal cuts have finished for the year, Walt and his crew are just getting started. Of particular note, the farm's peony crop is harvested from mid-June to mid-July. COVID-19's disruption in our world coincided at almost the same time that Walt typically announces Mountain Flower Farm's seasonal crop availability 
and opens up his pre-order system for peonies and other flowers. His communication with his customers via email really struck me as extraordinary, and I asked him to join me on the podcast to discuss Mountain Flower Farm's present, past, and future. I know you'll find it encouraging. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am delighted today to introduce you to Walt Krakowski of Mountain Flower Farm in Warren, Vermont. Hi, Walt. Hi. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, we're doing this over Skype, and um, we can't see each other, but I did get to visit Mountain Flower Farm last September at a workshop that uh, Kelly Shore and Mary-Kate Kinane led, and it was just such a special experience. Uh, fall in Vermont is remarkable, and fall at Mountain Flower Farm is just like, I don't know, it's like paradise or heaven or something. Just a beautiful place. Yeah, September in Vermont is incredible. It's really a great time to be there. Mm. Well, I've been wanting to have uh, a chance to interview you for the podcast. That that's time of year, you were a maniac when you let, you made presentations, you hosted this two-day workshop, but you also were in the throes of, I don't know, preparing millions, it seemed, of uh, peony roots for uh, one of your commercial clients. So you didn't really have time to talk on the on the recorder at that point i don't think that was definitely a, <laughs> a time where we were spread pretty thin well here we are kind of at the beginning of the season and I've, i'm on your newsletter and i i've received some of your uh, early season notice you know notes or messages or correspondence to your customers and i've been really impressed about how you're trying to uh, be uh, adaptive for this sudden change in uh flower farming and and you know floral design because most of your customers are wholesalers and designers, right? That's true. Yeah. So so we'll talk about that. But can you before we start, can you kind of give everyone a snapshot of Mountain Flower Farm and where exactly where you are, what what the size is and scope, and what your crops are? Sure. Um, the Mountain Flower Farms located in central Vermont in a place called the Mad River Valley. Um, we specialize in seasonal cut flower crops and we've grown into this niche of direct shipping right from our farm to floral designers and one of the things that's really unique about our farm is the timing because as you remember we're kind of located up on the side of a mountain in mm, vermont mm -hmm. and it's it's um 1600 foot elevation and it's a cool climate. It's rich soil. Our crops come in a lot later than most. Um, in a lot of cases, we're one of the last sources, um, in the lower 48 at least, for peonies, lilac, snowball viburnum, you know, seasonal crops that you, you don't just have year-round. They come at a specific time, and all growers are sort of bound to that window of when do these things bloom in their region. So for us, when we when our peonies start coming in in mid-June to early or mid-July, depending on how hot the summer comes on, there's really not many growers that are bringing in fresh right at that point. That's an incredible space to be in then because just by virtue of existing, you're extending the season for 
for the floral profession, like giving them another option for having that yummy, you know, that yummy palate two extra weeks. Yeah, it's a really common sentiment from, you know, whether we're talking about designers or consumers that they say, oh, I wish lilac season wasn't over. I love lilac so much. Is there any way we can get lilac for for my event this coming week or month or whatever? And it's nice for them, you know, for their the designers that they're working with to say, yeah, we, we can get you, you know, lilac in June or July. Sure. Wow. Wow. Um, your uh, location being cl- kind of close to the, the hub of New York City and the n- Northeast kind of... Um, you know, destination wedding, you know, venues, I'm sure that, that you're kind of tailored your business to serving that type of designer as well, who, who's got maybe got a certain budget or, you know, got kind of a larger event. I mean, I describe who your customer is. Sure. Um, I would say to concisely describe who our customers are, I would say they are discerning high-end floral designers. Um, you know, we're, we're organic growers. We don't produce things for as low of a price as some people can. So sort of the natural growth of our business has been that our customers are the ones who aren't saying to you, well, I have to get it for the lowest price possible. That's what, what's most important. Our customers are the people who are saying we want the best quality, period. Yeah, it, that's great, and that gives, that 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 kind of gives me hope that there is um, there is a value in what you're doing. Uh, that isn't you're not competing on price, you're competing on quality and uh, seasonality, and that's a lot. Of, you, you can win that you can win that competition with imports uh, because your product's fresher and grown organically and closer to the client. Yeah, I mean, of course, we have to stay within the realm of reasonability. We can't just randomly put whatever price. <laughs> right. But at the, the same time, we can comfortably stay in the higher range of that as long as we fulfill our commitment to unwavering top quality. Yeah, I mean, when I was visiting you, I couldn't believe the stem length and the vivid palette of, you know, the color petal color and the uh, size of the flower heads. Like I'm generalizing, but there's something really magical about the land you're on. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know if, if there's something you're doing differently and you say you're, you're using organic practices, but what, what are your general kind of, what's your approach? How do you, how do you maintain, is it because everything is pretty much a perennial or a woody ornamental? So it kind of has a time to mature on the land and you're not rushing the crop. Um, there's a little bit of, of everything going into there, but I think at the core of it, it's healthy soil makes healthy plants. And that's sort of one of the foundations of organic agriculture. Um, you know, healthy plants are much less susceptible to disease. They have more vigor. When we get sort of scientific about it, we're talking about the BRICS level. And some people may be familiar with this. The BRICS level is a measure of the sugar content in the plant material. And if you start to really dive into it and find this information, one of the things that you find out is that really healthy 
balanced soil ecosystems create very healthy plants. And that difference isn't just a difference for the growers in terms of how much are we fighting to keep these plants healthy and beautiful and clean, but that difference is translates right to the end point where the flower shows up at you know some floral designer's doorstep and they unpack the box and say, whoa, wow. those are really nice. Wow, that's awesome. Well, how are you selling right now? Because because I said I'm uh, after meeting you, I, I signed up for your mailing list. So I see how you're, you're kind of, well, for example, you you open up sales for pre-orders, right? And, uh, and that seems to be a unique model. And, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that works. Um, it seems to be a way to train your customers to, you know, pre-commit before the flower even blooms. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because that ended up being sort of a byproduct of necessity. Um, one of the things about farming is that you really need to try to do everything yourself as much as you can reasonably because the cost of labor is so high and the, the profit margins are so low. It's like time after time again, I've found over the years farming, things go so much better when you can do it yourself. And as our farm grew, I was getting to the point where, and this is no exaggeration, I was spending 20, 30 plus hours a week just simply answering phone calls and answering emails. Wow. Because you're you're so committed to that relationship with the customer. Yeah, I mean, you know, the our customers want to know about the flowers and have specific questions, and especially you know years ago, early on, were had questions about the ordering process and how it goes, and we have to, you know, as growers, we have to be efficient in our time and our movements and our actions, and. I was realizing how much time I was spending. I mean, I don't want to pick up the phone and, and be like, bop, 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 hi, yes, no, yes, no, thank you, bye, click. Yeah, that, right, right. <laughs> how it's going to go. So imagine if you take, you know, 50 calls a day, which we were definitely doing, um, especially in the lead up to P&E season, and you spend 10 minutes a call. Well, now you've spent 500 minutes. Right, right. There goes the day. There goes the day. Jeez. And, and during that day, there's, you know, a cascade of critical deadlines. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> flowers aren't sitting around waiting for you to harvest them. They're, you've got you've to harvest every single day, especially when during peony season, right? Exactly. So the, what that grew into was the decision to create an e-commerce platform, which and is our web, you know, it's our website, but... Essentially, it's an e-commerce platform. It's similar if you were to, you know, go visit Patagonia.com and go shopping for a new coat or something. It's it's that it's pretty much that same setup. Um, products, shopping cart, you know, lots of parameters to sort through and and shift. And you know, customers are shopping by variety or by date or by color or a lot of different parameters. Um, so. What happened is I started, I guess, about six years ago, putting these products onto our e-commerce platform and making that the landing point for our customers and then giving them as much information as I could right there so that I could 
make it easier for them and make it easier for me and free up more time. Um, the difference between your peony orders and a buying a jacket on Patagonia is usually when I buy a jacket on Patagonia, I want it immediately. Um, and that they're kind of dialed in to ship it immediately. Whereas uh, now if I'm ordering peonies, because I have a, a client who wants peonies at their wedding in, you know, middle of July, I'm telling you that so that I can pre-reserve those flowers before you even, before they bloom and before you cut them, right? Sure. That's, that's true. Um, and the way, the way that that developed specifically is that, um, I, I always, in my mind, I always think of this core group of customers I've had and it's, I, they're the group that were part of the flower farm before the website. <laughs> right? They're the, and, the OG customers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a really awesome group. There's like, I'd say it's about 20 people, um, all like super, you know, super established, super professional high-end designers. I'm talking about folks like Simia, um, Hannah Floral, Don Kelly, Soiree Floral, like real like New England professionals. Mm -hmm servicing a really high-end group of clients. And in the beginning, I would have a lot of chats, phone conversations, email conversations with them. And one of the things that I got through that back-and-forth exchange was that they're really planning a couple months ahead, two or three months ahead at a minimum. You know, they're, they're working with clients, they're working off a pallet, they're working towards a specific date. So it's not that helpful for them to get an email from me saying we're going to have white peonies next week. Cause they've that, thought about it five or six weeks earlier. Yeah. Or, or 10 or 12. Oh, or the previous year when they met with the client. Exactly. Wow. So they're, they're leading into their events, uh, you know, in a much sooner time frame. So that led me to kind of grow into this concept of, okay, well, you know, we, we grow almost exclusively perennial crops, and that's crops that you don't grow from seed. They're there in the ground already. Sure. So, so we can actually, once, once weather breaks, um, we can get a pretty good idea of what we're going to have and when. And, you know, I have 20 years of records to go off of, um, so I can kind of extrapolate from how hard was the winter how are, how are things coming up now in the spring? You know, what were our numbers last year? And come up with a number of inventory, not only for one specific flower, but for most of what we grow. Wow. Um, and then that grew into saying, okay, well, starting on April 1st, we're going to publish our cut flower inventory to our website. And I did that to make it easier for the floral designers we work with to plan ahead. You're basically um, forecasting um, like an economist, like, okay, this is my, my estimated production and um, I'm going to open it up to pre-orders. Exactly. And it's that, you know, those calculations by nature have to be conservative. Sure. I mean, you don't want to <laughs> come out short. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So occasionally we get in situations where, it's, you know, mid-June, we're bringing in peonies by the tractor load, and we're noticing, oh, you know what, we're 
ahead of our projections. We're going to have a little bit more. And then at that point, um, I can add a little more inventory to our site. And some, sometimes, more, on more than one occasion, some customers have been very happy to see that because, um, and this is actually what I was leading into, is when we started publishing the, the cut flower inventory on April 1st, it was specifically to help everyone plan accordingly. But what I didn't really anticipate then is that it creates almost like an online auction. I mean, our, our customer base, we ship to 40 states, 5,000 floral designers on our mailing list. Wow. Um, and a lot of them have really come to enjoy working with us, know us for quality. They want to buy our stuff when they can. So they get an email from me, you know, late March saying, oh, April 1st, our cut flower inventory is coming live. And there's some things, you know, high demand crops. I'm, I'm speaking about like yellow peonies or blush peonies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, oh, I see it myself. I mean, there's been years where we've sold out in, you know, five minutes. <laughs> That's insane. So when you opened this up on April 1st, was it just for peonies or were, were other crops on that, um, on that offering? And I'm sorry, I don't, I didn't check it before I called you. No, that's fine. Most of our stuff is on there that can be, um, the main exception is lilac mm -hmm. because in the realm of, uh, cuts, they're fussy, you know, though we just can't predict the lilac with certainty to the week until closer to May. So that one, we kind of, we drag our heels a little bit on, uh, the lilacs will sit there fully budded and ready to bloom, but if the weather's cold and gray, they can sit that way for weeks. Uh, if see, it turns, you know, if it turns sunny and eighty, then bam, they're they bloom quick. So and that one, I have to, I have to wait until I can see where their stage of development is, and then also look to the weather forecast with at least some degree of certainty, which is more like the two or three week time frame. So like with lilacs, you kind of know the quantity, you just don't know the bloom time until it really close to that, uh, that period when they pop. Yeah, basically, I, I don't know if it's going to be the third or fourth week of May. <laughs> wow, she's well, it's it's like a it's like a, I don't know, it's amazing. It's like you have this master calendar and you're constantly moving things around and trying to make everybody happy too, because you care so much. And it's really, it's really <laughs> disappointing when things don't go good. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the variable, I guess, of, of mother nature. I think that's something that, um, is of value for floral designers. Um, no matter who they're working with, whether it's me or another small grower, there's just a really like, there's an inherent different level of commitment. You know, when you're buying something from a huge agri business firm, you know, and I want to say any specific examples. Well, but like, I like to say flower factories or factory farms, like the, the big production or uh, commodity sources, yeah. right? Yeah, that's accurate. You know, in that model, there's really not an end point. Mm -hmm. There's, a, there's a, a bunch of employees. There's, you know, a manager or multiple managers. And there, there doesn't end up being like a real end point. And if there is, 
it tends to be like uh, a businessman in a suit in an office. <laughs> it's right, not. Right. It's not the same thing as dealing directly with your farmer. Yeah, yeah. Not like you, who is uh, when I observed you like working harder than any of your employees and uh, just so passionate about what you've created and, and every individual crop. You just have a, you would, you could make money. You can make a living in a lot of easier ways than growing flowers. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> is like, this, I feel like this is a calling for you or something, Walt. It's like your, your heart is so deeply invested in what you're doing. It is a labor of love. There's no about, no doubt about that. Um, you know, and it, it works both ways. Like I get a lot from the, from the farm, the farm gets a lot from me. Uh, what's coming to mind now is all the times in my life where there's been uncertainty or hardship, and my sort of default is to retreat to the flower farm because because there things are so simple. Mm -hmm. That's a that's profound. I love that. And and in the era that we're in right now, where okay, right when you were probably dialing up your whole program for 2020, boom, we have the coronavirus uh, sort of epidemic or pandemic. And um, you did make some changes in how you communicated with your customers. And did you at one point early on think, oh, screw it, we're not going to sell flowers at all, or we're not going to be able to sell flowers at all? Or am I making that up? No, that's true. It was a really hard decision for me because our season in Vermont, it's so short and our sales season is even shorter. You know, M May and June um, is a big part of what we do, you know, and I, I could see from the beginning that that was going to be severely compromised. Mm. I work pretty closely with some big distributors and with some growers you know, in the terms of like camaraderie and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm close with a lot of pretty big growers around the world, especially in the, in the peony niche. And it became clear to all of us that this was critical, that, that it was going to be bad. And obviously it's gotten even worse than anyone thought. Um, so I was kind of clued in from the beginning that things were in jeopardy and I sat down and really just sort of ran the numbers and came to the conclusion that, well, the the least costly way out of this is to just not run the farm this summer. You seriously consider that? Oh, yeah. But, um, really seriously, because, you know, it, if the if the crops aren't selling and you have a whole crew of people that, you know, you're paying salaries for, and you're dumping in tons of effort to get the crop off right, you're just, you're just, um, you know, yeah. incurring expenses on a moment by moment, daily, weekly basis that right. goes on and on. I mean, it's incredible that the expense that goes into creating a, big, a good, good cut flower crop. Right. Like you're working to pay your employees, but that is, that's not sustainable either if you're not, you know, reinvesting in the farm or paying yourself. Yep. So that that conclusion was one that, um, as I wrote in our email newsletter, it really kind of hit me like a rock because I've, I've had the flower farm for over 20 years and that's never, ever 
even been a slight consideration. It's always been like, yep, push forward, you know, one foot in front of the other, let's get this done. And to have to sit there and say, wow, like this, this may, this isn't going to be feasible, um, was a really hard one for me, a hard pill to swallow. Mm. And I didn't just, you know, run the numbers and then call up our, our crew and say, oh, we're, we're canceled. And then write to all the floral designers and say, nope, no flowers this year. I just sort of, um, you know, dwelled on it a little bit. I had, since I'm close with a, with a lot of the European growers and the uh, COVID epidemic was hitting Europe first, I sort of had a little bit of a head start in terms of knowing how serious it was going to be. Wow. Wow. So I just, I just sort of mulled it over for, for a while, I guess maybe a couple of weeks. And I, I definitely spent a lot of time thinking about it and trying to figure out the best way to move forward. And one of the things that kept resonating with me strongly was that it's a two-way street. You know, I'm counting on floral designers from for my living just plain and simple to, to put food on the table. But also the floral designers I work with are counting on me. I mean, there's some of them that have, you know, been buying specific flowers from us for more than a decade. And, and they have events, they have, they've already collected the money for, you know, they're in some cases they've, you know, conveyed to me their wish list for the season already. And, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable just abandoning ship and, and leaving everyone to fight for themselves and figure out what to do because, uh, of course, it is a sale, you know, providing flowers to our, our customers, it's a sale, but they're also counting on that and they're counting on that not only because to physically have the flowers they want, but they're counting on it because they can count on us for quality and they use that quality to create their reputation. Yeah. Their aesthetic and their brand is based on, uh, it's only as strong as what they're able to source from farm partners. So it's, it's integral, the whole thing. It's like, you're all, there's a symbiosis there. You rely on each other. Yeah. And there's, there's a strong symbiosis. And I think there's, one now that's stronger than ever before. Hmm. So that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so Walt, you you sent some kind of you you sort of put the word out that you were thinking about not moving forward for season for 2020 and then what was the response? Did people freak out? Um well, first I sort of discussed it with a small group. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wise. And, <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, of course, no one was was happy to hear that um, because it does have implications, not just for me, but for our customers. Mm -hmm. And then I decided over the course of a couple of weeks that, you know, I was in a position where I didn't have to do that. The, the flower farm were able to carry some equity over from season to season. Um, I'm able to live relatively inexpensive. And I said to myself, you know, I can take a, a hit right now. And it's not going to mean the end of the flower farm. It's not going to mean 
I can't, you know, pay the rent. It's not going to mean I can't buy groceries. It, you know, it may mean that like everyone this year becomes a very strong struggle, mm-hmm. but it wasn't going to be the end of the flower farm. So I, I thought about it a lot and I decided to create this sliding scale discount um, for our customers for the next couple months. And I thought it was basically like the least I could do from my end to help our customers through this because you're connected with the floral industry. You know, this is like, this is the most difficult time and probably in the history of the floral industry. And I don't want to see a lot of our customers get forced out of business and I don't want to see them suffer and I don't want to see them, you know, either not be able to source the flowers they need or get forced into some, you know, poor quality alternative and have their reputation be compromised because of that. I wanted to continue to do my best to put quality product into our customers' hands and do that in some small way that would help them. And the best I could come up with is to create this sliding scale discount. And I, I did it and I tried to just put it in really human terms. And I, um, I think you probably know the email I'm referring mm-hmm, to where I, am. I laid it out to people and I said, look, if you are struggling to survive, if you can't put food on your table, if the order for this event is going to be, you know, a critical loss of income for you, then take 60% off of your, of your order. Um, and to put that in perspective, you know, most of our crops, 20 to 30% is our break even point. So it's selling way below the cost of production. It's, you know, a definite loss. I mean, we're so you're, spending- you're basically going to subsidize that purchase. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're, we're spending money to lose money. Right, right, right. <laughs> when we sell something at 60% off. Crazy. But, but you know, it, there's a lot to be said for continuity and being there every year, no matter what. Right, the um, long game. Yeah, and so that that was one, one level. And then the next level was a 50% discount. And I, I simply worded that as saying, if you're like everyone else, and this is going to be a legitimate, you know, financial hardship, and you have legitimate financial worries right now, then take the 50% off. And then there was also um, uh, 40% off. And that w- and I worded that as saying, if you're a strong business and you have equity on hand and you're going to be okay through this, but it's going to be hard, then use this discount. And that was conveyed to our customers um, through the email newsletter and through a um, you know, three different coupon codes that you could use at the checkout point on our our website. You sent this out on August, or excuse me, April first, right? Yes. Okay, so we're talking on April tenth. What has happened in the last ten days? Um, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of response and and the feedback yeah. you received. Sure. You know what the. The first thing that happened is the day that I sent that email, I literally 
got hundreds of responses. Um, really like emotional, heartfelt responses, people dropping me quick notes, just, you know, saying thank you. Wow. Um, and I knew there would be a response and I knew that people would probably buy some stuff and take advantage of the discounts and that it would be some help. But I really underestimated the personal, emotional connection that came of that. I mean, I wish I had some of these emails in front of me right now that I could share with you because it was really like really, really humbling and, and heartwarming. And it sort of solidified even more than before to me how connected we all are. Yep. Um, so cre- you have created a community of your customers who need, need to see you succeed for their own, their own reasons. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, beyond the economics of it, um, it became a source of hope where, you know, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, worse news every day. Yeah. And when there's something positive and, and helpful and something rooted in, you know, um, resiliency and community and that becomes a catalyst for hope. And I think more than ever now, hope is critically important. So did some people just say, um, thank you, I need this discount to keep my business going? And others people say, I don't need it right now, but maybe in the future? Like, what was the general response? Um, You know, I'd say that there was a really varied response. And that was another thing that caught me by surprise, because I figured you know, well, everything is going to get sold for 60% off now. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's how it goes, you know, um, and that's fine because that was the intent. But what it ended up happening is a lot of customers um, use the 60% code and I'm, I'm absolutely glad they did. Others chose to use the 50% code. Others chose the 40% code. And then beyond them, there was another group who wrote to me and said, thank you so much for this. It means so much to me what you're doing. I'm not going to use any discount code, but here's our order for this season. And then beyond that, I also had a lot of, our customers are almost exclusively floral designers. Um, I also had customers write to me and, you know, saying how appreciative they were for that offer. And then following that with, all our events are canceled. I don't have any need for cut flowers, but I would like to buy peony roots from your farm. So here's my order for peony roots, and I'm not going to use any discount on that. Oh, I better get my peony root order in. This is a this is a reminder because I I missed it last year. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hurry. I better hurry. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to get online and do that. But that's. That's just, oh my gosh. Well, thank you for being so vulnerable and, and transparent and sharing that. Um, this is this is a story of resilience that is, is hopeful because we are so interdependent. Um, it's a really crazy industry where everyone from the, you know, the seed company or the root, you know, or the plant breeder to the, you know, end consumer are 
all reliant on this channel of flowers succeeding and thriving or else if there's a break in that channel then everybody fails yeah. wow well okay so this was sort of this pre-order thing was sort of for peonies or was it for all other crops as well yeah everything except lilac okay great wow so are you feeling like this is just your year to kind of maintain and keep a, your key employees and in, you know from leaving and you know keeping them obviously there there's no slowdown your your work is still there right yeah i mean the farm goes on there's there's a legitimate workload whether any flowers get sold or not yeah right i mean you you've got to you've got to harvest you've got to prune you've got to fertilize i mean everything to keep that that plant yeah so everything regenerate. Be, yeah everything has to be maintained and mm -hmm. you know the at the bare minimum, it has to be kept weeded and fertilized and healthy and keep pests out of there and diseases and everything else. So, yeah, there's a lot of work either yeah. way. So against the that kind of beautiful landscape, beautiful scenario that you've just described, which I do feel will encourage a lot of listeners of the Slow Flowers podcast, um, I know you have some big future plans that you've shared with me and, and um, for a, a new a new project. And I, I, I'd love to just get a little bit of a update on, on what's happening with that, um, the new farm. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So a couple years ago, um, I started working with uh, an organization in Vermont. It's devoted to agricultural land conservation. And we identified some property um, within our community, the Matter River Valley, that was, you know, threatened for development. Um, classic scenario, big, beautiful, you know, 30-acre farm that, you know, could easily be subdivided into a bunch of house lots and, and sold off. And we learned that the um, seller was kind of working towards that, um, the property ended up being listed with a local real estate agent and their, their headline to their listing was ideal subdivision potential. Oh no. <laughs> and, um, that's, that's sort of when, when the pace of our efforts <laughs> it, it sped up a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, a knife to the heart reading that. Jeez. Yeah. And it, it's, that project isn't necessarily, um, anywhere near being a done deal yet, but it's, it's in the works and we're, we're trying to, to take over this, this, um, you know, 30 acre farm and in that process, um, move the flower farm over the course of probably, you know, five years or so, move the flower farm over there, um, expand our cut flower and our root business um, which we haven't talked about that much, but as a snapshot, I would say that I grow peony roots not only for home gardeners, but for a lot of cut flower farms and also for a small group of um, national distributors right. through, through their catalogs. So we have a really big root business going. Um, and that's, you know, take, needs to take up more land. 
So that was one component of wanting to take over this new farm. Another part of it was the educational component where um, we've seen a lot of growth lately, not just our farm specifically, but I think in the flower farmer world, we've seen a lot of growth in the realm of education, of fostering new growers. Um, so part of taking over this new farm, if it becomes a reality, is going to be to create an incubator space where we can lease farmland and infrastructure to aspiring farmers and provide them not only with the with those things, but also with an outlet to sell their product and a mentorship component um, that will kind of get them through that initial struggle. That's so cool. I mean, that idea of just um, basically growing farmers, growing flower farmers is um, one that's really important to you because of your how you were mentored, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would never have had success flower farming without having a mentor. Um, and in my case, I learned nearly everything I, I started with, the, the knowledge I started with from a man named Ed Pincus, um, who passed away a number of years ago. Ed Pincus was a very kind, intelligent friend. Mm. I never met him, but I knew of him as the uh, the the lilac guy from Third Branch Farm, right? Exactly. Um, oh, yeah. I I spent a lot of time riding around in a golf cart, <laughs> talking talking with Ed about different peony varieties and different hydrangeas and different lilacs and the winners and the losers, and <laughs> you know, he he taught me a lot about the global flower market, huh. how, how that all works and wow. forever indebted to, to his advice. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm glad that I, I remember you talking about him when I first met you and I, um, I, I like the fact that you're, you f are now trying to carry on that practice of encouraging uh, the next generation uh, coming up who maybe I think probably harder than it, it's harder than ever for young farmers to access land. And your vision is to incubate farms through this, this farm that you're trying to buy, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's really in line with my, some of my core values. You know, I want to see organic agriculture flourish. I want to see people collectively across the board make a difference and one of the things that the flower farm has taught me is that you know we talk about sustainability a lot it's sort of like this catchphrase in agriculture of sustainable agriculture and mm -hmm. it, tends, it tends to be measured um from a ecological environmental standpoint and i and i think that's absolutely critical and important but there's also economic sustainability because if you have a farm that's not economically sustainable it's not going to persevere so. absolutely and that's such a better uh way to you know or, or an important way to define sustainability it's sustaining the farm and the farmer as well as the practices of farming yeah i mean you know with with enough education and effort 
most most people can grow a beautiful crop, but growing it with some semblance of a profit margin is a much trickier task. So where are you at? Like, are you going to call this new property Mountain Flower Farm, or will it have a new name? To be determined. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but and one thing that is determined, um, one thing that is determined is our tagline for the project, which is "Farmers, Flowers, Future." Got it. I love it. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down and use it in our show notes so people can remember that <laughs> and find and follow you. Um, that's cool. And so roughly, you know, looking at of course this new reality of of 2020. Do you envision this is something that might happen in 2021? It might happen in the next few months. If oh the, wow! If the funding doesn't get pulled. That's to be determined. You know, okay. there's a lot of shuffling around of, of budgets. Um, you know, these projects have a kind of a long pipeline of funding. And one of the first steps in that process is for your project to be approved. And that's a that's a process that takes a long time, um, you know, talking about years. So. Mm, mm. We're at the point where our project has been approved for funding, um, which is a huge, huge win what in is my that, mind. What does that mean? Funding from um, like a coalition of d investors or? Uh, no, from from a mix of state and federal funding. Got it. Okay. I'm sorry. I missed that. Okay. Yeah. So it's a mix of state and federal funding. You're, te um, you're teed up a little bit. Uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the, the funds are earmarked. The project's approved. There's still some um, stumbling blocks to overcome, and it's far from being a done deal, but definitely further along than ever. So that's hopeful. <laughs> I can't wait to bring you back on into the podcast to talk about this when you're ready to announce uh, the completion of this this oh, sort of planning yeah. process. This is exciting. My fingers, my fingers are definitely crossed. It's mm. sort of a lot of nervous anticipation because – I've, I've been down this road before and in the end it didn't work out and it was a huge, huge disappointment that I almost didn't recover from. <laughs> I was just oh. like, okay, ready to just give up. But, okay. Well, we're not going to let that happen this time. I mean, at least you've got people rooting for you, Walt. Um, that's exciting. And um, it will, it will really radically improve the floral agriculture landscape for Vermont, but also all of New England and beyond because you're, you're going to have this education component that could, could uh, you know, reach across North America, depending on who your students are or your, not your students, that's not the right word, but who your, your apprentices are, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, um, you know, diversified agriculture, especially economically sound diversified mm. agriculture has a critical role to play in conservation. I mean, and I can speak to Vermont specifically that, we face some really hard challenges in terms of preserving agricultural land. You know, Vermont is a um, vacation destination. It's, you know, in our community, it's mostly second homes. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of development in that regard. Yeah. And on the, the other hand is um, the Vermont dairy industry, which historically has kept a lot of 
land in that working landscape, um, you know, and that's sort of come to define Vermont, this sort of green pastoral scene of, you know, covered bridges and cows in the fields eating grass. And it's, um, right. That, that, air, that dairy industry is more threatened than ever before. And the, the statistics are there to prove it. You know, we're, we're losing a lot of dairy farms in Vermont and when they close the, almost without exception, the land gets cut up and sold. Right. Right. So diversifying agriculture is actually one way to maybe save some of that land if it yeah. can be re re redirected toward flower farming or some other kind of crop. Exactly. Wow. Well, this has been so amazing. I just love listening to you and the way your mind works and the way it's so integral to just the way you live your life and your values for how you grow flowers and, and supply them to customers that, you know, you feel like you have an inter interdependence with. And I'm just so grateful that you'd be willing to share some of, of your kind of real time sort of resilience, <laughs> which we all need to hear about right now. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, anything else that I didn't ask you before we wrap up? Because I know we could go on for a while. <laughs> I, I kind of get the feeling we could. <laughs> well, um, I guess the the one thing that I would I would just like to add to our conversation is that more than ever, I think not only my farm but a lot of flower farms now are pivoting their focus from April May to later in the season. I'm hearing from a lot of floral designers that their clients are rescheduling for August, September. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is to plan ahead to have a, a real bumper crop of what people need in September. Yeah. So what's that going to be? For us, that'll be hydrangea. Oh, your hydrangea are, I mean, they are, I don't know, there's some kind of good juju in your soil or in this in this light or the moisture in the air is they're big they're the, they're just the annabelles and the limelights they're just brilliant so they just they just love the vermont climate and if, mm -hmm. you, if you have good soil they you know they do well mm, good i hope every single one of those stems gets spoken for and um I know we'll talk again, Walt, and I know I'll be back to visit you at Mountain Flower Farm. But in the meantime, will you share some photos that we can put on the show notes at DebraPrinzing.com for people to meet you virtually and start following you if they haven't met you already? Sounds great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Walt. I wish you continued resilience, and I thank you so much for being um, a source of encouragement today. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me for this special conversation. I believe that now, more than ever, the messages of sustainability and seasonal and locally available flowers is top of mind among consumers, flower farmers, and florists. Walt wrote this in his first newsletter of the season dated March 31st, and we referred to this in our interview. One thing for certain is that we will 
be here toiling away with our hands in the dirt, flowering fiercely for the future. Mountain Flower Farm is already in action and we will be here doing whatever it takes to safely put flowers in your hands. Our model of grower direct overnight shipping was made for these times. Social distancing, door-to-door delivery, top quality product, consistency, and value. These are not new themes for us. In fact, this is what we have trained for and what we have been streamlining and perfecting for over 20 years. We stand ready to help our customers succeed through challenging times. Just one week later, Walt continued that story in a next email, and this is what inspired me to invite him to share uh, on the podcast today. He wrote this, A week ago, in the midst of great uncertainty, we stuck to our schedule and published our season's cut flower availability. Sending that email was, for me, a moment that I was dreading. Questions and doubts were bountiful. We all know by now life has been turned upside down. The economy is reeling, and the floral industry is one of many hard-hit segments. It brings me incredible comfort and hope to be able to check in today and report that the responses we've received have been nothing short of incredible. For that, I am absolutely thankful and humbled. Our community is strong. There is hope, not only for Mountain Flower Farm, but for all of us trying to make it through this time. Thank you for all your generous orders, for your faith in our farm, our team, and our collective future. One thing that really struck me that I wanna share is the nature of the orders we received. Walt continued, as many of you know, we preceded our cut flower inventory release with a sliding scale discount offer created to help floral designers persevere. Customers could choose which level of discount they needed. I was very happy to see people taking advantage of this offer. I was also surprised when I started to receive orders with notes attached saying, thank you so much for this offer. I don't need any flowers for my shop but I'm placing this order for peony roots for our home garden. Or others saying, thank you for thinking of us florists and trying to help. I've placed orders for the season, but I chose not to use any of the discount offers. In the 24 hours after releasing Mountain Flower Farm's discount offer, Walt received literally hundreds of emails, all of them full of appreciation, hope, and positivity. He responded writing, for this, I want to stand on the tallest peak and shout, thank you, thank you, thank you. We've come to a point where it's, not, it's really not about sales or money anymore. It's about humanity. It's about hope. It's about resilience. Like everyone, I have legitimate fear and worry right now. The outpouring of support that has been received this past week has helped to calm my worries and to point my focus toward the future. Our floral community is strong. We are all connected, and for that, I am absolutely grateful. Those words are so powerful. And Walt, thank you so much for being honest. As I mentioned in the podcast, honest and transparent. As I said last week, I want the Slow Flowers podcast to be a companion to those of you in isolation, away from your physical community of peers, neighbors, customers, and friends. I hope today's interview was as inspiring to you as I found it to be for me. Our next sponsor thank you goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Before we wrap up today, I want to share a bonus interview with Lisa Ziegler of The Gardener's Workshop, our newest Slow Flowers podcast sponsor, announced last week. Lisa is a fellow garden writer, author of Cool Flowers, published by St. Lynn's Press, the same publisher behind my books, Slow Flowers and The 50 Mile Bouquet. 
Lisa is a flower farmer based in Newport News, Virginia, where the Gardener's Workshop is also home to an online shop offering seeds and supplies for home gardeners and a growing curriculum of online courses for flower farmers and farmer florists. I invited Lisa to give us an overview and an update on the Gardener's Workshop, so let's welcome her now. Well, I'm so excited today to welcome our newest sponsor of the Slow Flowers podcast, and that is the Gardener's Workshop. And I've got Lisa Mason Ziegler, the founder of the Gardener's Workshop, on the line today to just give us an update on what's going on with this amazing platform. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Deborah. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. And of course, people may recognize you as a past guest of this podcast. We've had you on a couple times, but it's been a while. It has. I think it's been a couple of years. Always glad to return. Okay, great. Well, you wear so many hats. Actually, the last time I had you on the podcast, it was for your most recent book, uh, Vegetables Love Flowers. And that feels like a lifetime ago, but I think it was when you were in Seattle in February of 2019. (laughs) So it's only been a year. Crazy. Um, So anyway, people know you as an author, and they also know you as a fabulous flower farmer. And now um, you've got this new life of producing online courses and online education. Can you talk a little bit about the online course component of the Gardener's Workshop? Because that seems to be like the most sort of uh, occupying a lot of your time right now. Sure. So I knew back, you know, a few years ago that um, it become a really apparent to me that teaching and sharing um, what I had learned was really a great gift and my passion. So when online courses started to become available for us to learn how to do, I just jumped in with both feet and launched Flower Farming School Online back in 2018. And we just had such an amazing response. People loved that method of learning. And in addition to such a great and convenient way to learn, the fact that they could watch stuff over and over again, unlike, you know, when you, I mean, I love going and giving talks, Mm -hmm. but people can only take so much in, in that hour, right? And so much that you can say and you know, and then the, the the audience doesn't really have connection with that person that's speaking. With online courses, all of that changes. So we had great success with our first one. I knew um, about halfway through that course being live that I wanted to do, go to the next level. The first, the flower farming school is really about the basics, getting in, learning how to farm, learning how to start your business, finding customers and how to sell your stuff, growing the really basic flowers. And we knew that we wanted to offer a more advanced course for bulbs, perennials and so forth. And that made me approach my first author to say, hey, I'd love to produce a course for you, who, of course, was Dave Dowling, who was the walking encyclopedia. Right. (laughs) And, you know, and I just... I knew that Dave would be a great one for us to kind of go through this together, learning how to do it. And we did it. And then, you know, one thing led to another. Then the next um, page flipped and we knew that people wanted to do weddings. They wanted to do events. So Jenny Love was at the top of my list to approach as a farmer florist with a great business and great business model and such a great teacher. 
And um, so one thing has led to another. So Jenny was our third author. And then we um, have just signed on and it just launched April 1st, the no-till microscale flower farm with Jonathan and Megan Lease. And I can I will just tell you that people love learning this way because what I'm seeing is that the same customers buy all the classes. You know what I mean? They embrace this kind of learning and we are really all about building your business and how you can do that, no matter if you're a little urban farmer like I am or a larger farm. Um, it's just great opportunities. And um, I just see no ceiling in the, the chances of the subject matter to offer and how to help people. Well, Lisa, um, first of all, every person that you have um, pre presenting courses through the Gardener's Workshop online courses, including yourself, are all past guests of the Slow Flowers podcast. So there's a very nice affinity here. I'm following a thread um, because these are experts and these are recognized voices and um, you know people of influence in the um, floral world, uh, be it growing or design. I think what's really interesting for now, like right now where we are in the middle of the coronavirus um, pandemic, uh, online education is more important than ever. I would imagine you could never have predicted this, but um, it's probably maybe people who would never have previously considered doing an online course because they like, you know, hands-on or whatever. Now they're having to evaluate uh, you know, another platform and another model, and you're you're here with the content to offer to them. Right. And yeah, I mean, who would have, nobody wanted to foresee this day, right? Right. And, and I tell you, that's something that we have really tried to embrace with our online courses by going a notch uh, past what, um, what I imagined was how we offer that the students have contact with the instructors while, while we do live Q and A's with the students in mm -hmm. our schools, um, while school's in. And, um, that's brought another, that kind of like is a reach out where it's not quite like being in the same room with them, but it's almost like being in the room with them. Right. So we, um, we provide platforms for students to interact with the, the instructors as well as live sessions, um, for the school courses. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that just adds to that mm -hmm. also. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's almost like, uh, we're all going to be so, uh, adept and skilled at, uh, technology and how we absorb and consume information that, uh, it, <laughs> it's like the new reality now and it, everybody's going to rely on this even more. So, uh, here you are developing content and I see that the courses you've, rolled out, all of them kind of address a pain point or a, a you know, a need for information that um, is sort of in the marketplace. Like you're not create, you're not offering things that aren't, that there isn't demand for There's a big demand for these subjects. Right. And I tell you, um, the, the course that is coming out this, well, goes on sale this fall, but doesn't come out until January of 2021 which I believe addresses what you just mentioned, a pain point. Um, and it's called Florist School Online. And it's growing your business with local flower sourcing with Ellen Frost, who is cutting edge in blazing a path of how 
design studios and storefronts can embrace local flowers. I mean, actually how to do it, right? how to connect with farmers, how to help them and they can help you and how to work together. And I'm like so over the top excited about this course. I've always thought Ellen's business model was amazing. I, I truly believe, Deborah, that what Ellen's doing is what it's the kind of the dream that people have in their mind when they think they want to have a flower shop. You know, I mean, they do fun activities. She goes to farms and picks up flowers and connects with farmers and farmers come to her. And I mean, they just have, a, they just, it's, it's really, um, I'm really excited about that course because yeah. it's another yeah. pain point. And, and I hope that you and Ellen come back and talk about that when we get a little closer to launching, when you get a little closer to launching these signups for that, because um, it, it will, it, it is ideally suited for the Slow Flowers community to hear from. Um, so plan on that. Uh, how can people, like, how can they get a preview or sort of see like a little demo of the courses and just kind of kick the tires and see whether this is right for them? Sure. So they can go to the website, thegardenersworkshop.com, go to the online courses and sign up to be notified. And all that means is that you're signing up to get emails for when new courses come out. And in, in addition to that, you'll also get great email resources, um, whether it's videos for that type of thing to see, to meet the authors, to see, to hear, learn more from them, kind of. Um, and that's a great way to get introduced into um, what the courses are all about and to learn more about them. Okay. That sounds wonderful. We'll put a link to that in uh, today's show notes at uh, com for this week's episode. And um, I, I would encourage anybody to just sign up for those notifications because you do get a preview and sort of an early sneak peek at what's coming down the pike for, um, you know, all of the courses. Because these repeat, right, Lisa? Like the, back to your very first course that you launched in 2018, you're still offering that year after year, right? Sure. So there's two different types of courses. We have on-demand. Those are on sale year-round. You can buy them anytime and watch them anytime. Those classically are shorter courses. Our schools um, are once a year and um, they're offered once a year. Yes. Hmm. That sounds great. And they're kind of staggered throughout the year based on the season or, you know, just sure. Well, pacing. actually, they pretty much most of them are during the winter months because it's a six week course. And that's when most people, um, especially in the flower farming world, are, tend to have downtime. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. So uh, about you, are you, what's going on with your farm? And, and just, just let's, let's wrap up a little bit about the season of 2020 and what that means for, for Lisa Ziegler at, uh, in Newport News, Virginia. Sure. So surprisingly enough, I felt like this year was going to be a scrub for flowers with everything going on. But in fact, much like 9-11, um, there's more demand for local flowers now than there ever has been. So we've just gone through the steps of we only have... Um, we do have a members only market here on our farm and we do a bouquet subscription and we have made provisions for those customers to still get their flowers with no contact. And, um, you know, our online garden shop where we sell seeds, tools, and supplies is 
through the roof busy because Jeez. everyone's at home gardening. Yep. So we are um, trying to handle that load, which we are in a safe manner for, you know, the, my staff. And um, so things are really good. And the flowers, cool flowers are more beautiful this year than ever before. It's just been a great season. And now we're just loving to get started harvesting and getting the flowers out to our customers. And you just have to change up what you're doing. You know, there's a way where there's a will, there's a way. Right. And the demand and the hunger for local flowers is there. Um, Your customers haven't gone away. You're just having to slightly adapt with how you get the flowers to them. Right. I mean, we are considered an essential business. Both of my businesses actually are on our governor's list of essential businesses because we are are under a stay-at-home order. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're thankful for that. Um, mm. that wow. So That's yeah. amazing. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for your support of the Slow Flowers podcast. And I should also mention that you're supporting our online magazine, the Slow Flowers Journal. So people will start seeing uh, over the course of the coming year some content that Lisa and her authors are going to create just for our readers, which is also very exciting. And uh, I just wish you a safe uh, season, uh, both under stay-at-home order, and as soon as it's lifted, I know you're going to soar. <laughs> we don't get a lift until June 10th. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. So we're. That's why we've gotten our systems worked out. We're going to be doing it for a while. Wow. Okay. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you. so much for joining me today as we heard from two flower farmers who have developed their businesses to reflect their passions and fit their lifestyles. And truly, that is what I wish for each of you and your floral enterprise. You can find more about Mountain Flower Farm and the Gardener's Workshop in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Last week, we held our third virtual member meetup on April 10th. We had a great group in attendance, and I thank you for joining us. A special thank you to Holly Chapel of Chapel Designers, Holly Chapel Flowers, and Hope Farm for her guest appearance to talk about how she is adapting during the coronavirus. You can find a link to the Zoom replay video in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Thank you to each of you who attended and participated. Please join this week's Slow Flowers member virtual meetup on Friday, April 17th, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. The link is in today's show notes, and it will also be in our Instagram profile. We will share it on Slow Flowers Facebook page and in the Slow Flowers community on Facebook. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 596,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. 
as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.